Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you about another great ESPN podcast. First Take, Her Take, hosted by L. Duncan, Kimberly A. Martin, and Charlie Arnold, gives you a peek into their lives as they navigate their careers and relationships while giving their unfiltered opinions on the sports world's hottest topics. Listen to First Take, Her Take, wherever you find your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm a con to believe you are a hater. It is Foxworth Friday. Dominique Foxworth, what's going on? Uh, too much. Too much. <laughs> Went out to Vegas and got that cootie, but had a good time, though. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Before, if you got that cootie, it meant you got drunk as Cootie Brown. Now it means that you got a series of those cooties that, when put together, put you on the shelf. Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, it was just COVID because I feel like in my youth, I was more (laughs) nervous about things that I could have caught in (laughs) Vegas. But I don't have that worry anymore. Yeah, no, no. We we have different names for that. We didn't have to call that the cooties. Those, (laughs) Those, we have very particular names for very particular wings. Oh, man. The Vegas situation. Man, we're going to talk a bit about NIL stuff that's going on. This weird case with uh, Jordan Addison at Pittsburgh. Right fast, some NBA playoffs. We coming off of the Luka Doncic uh, game two against Phoenix. And Luka Doncic is two things at one time. He is unstoppable and he is food. They made the call that they're like, cool, you're going to have him out here. He's about to be food. Chris Paul was like, hey there, young fella. You look tasty. I would love some food. Devin Booker like, oh, look who's in front of me. It's food. He going to be food for the rest of this series. He going to have to score 50 points a game because he going to be food. Yeah, that's a tough spot to be in because he could presumably leave the game feeling frustrated or leave the first two games feeling frustrated because he is putting up numbers. Like, where's my help type of feel? But... I imagine that on the at the film study on the other end of the floor, people looking at him like, "Come on, bro, you gotta <laughs> at least at least give him some resistance." He can't do both. He just he got to go with the James Harden Houston strategy. Is they just got to get a lot of three and D's around him because he can't play no defense. He can't play no defense, but he's also I just don't think he's ever going to be the guy that gets others involved, right? It's kind of get in where you fit in with him. He's a lead guard, not as my buddy Shady used to say about Russell Westbrook. I'm a point guard, not a pass guard. Not that he doesn't pass, not that he's totally unwilling to pass, but it's sequential. He's trying to get his bucket. And then if something happens that involves passing the ball to you, that's cool. Like we're not talking about Chris Paul here. So when Luca's on fire, Luca's going to be putting it up. But I imagine it is not easy for these other guys. I mean, people had trouble with that with Michael Jordan. And when you're an NBA player, I don't care how good that other dude is. This dude don't really be giving us the ball like that. I guess it depends on what their motivation is, because I think in previous iterations of the league, you got to get your numbers to get paid. Yeah. In this modern analytics version of the league, you cannot get traditional numbers and convince a team that it's worth getting paid. But also... Don't nobody show up to the court and not want to take those shots. Like, yeah. It's a fundamental thing about basketball. So like I could get her, I could wrap my head around convincing 
four guys to come out there and play with Luca and say, you're going to get your money because we're going to show people how valuable you are. But also, it ain't no fun to be a blocking receiver on every down. <laughs> Throw me the rock every now and then see, see what I could do. Let me eat. Nobody got in it for that is the way yeah. to put it, right? Like the thing exactly. that gets lost, like a dude like Charles Oakley, for example. I think Charles Oakley was at Virginia Union scoring like 25, 30 points a game, like Dennis Rodman. He was putting up big numbers. You remember uh, Reggie Evans? Yep. Reggie Evans was the Big Ten Player of the Year. Like, he got to the NBA and the game change, but at every turn, everybody that's a garbage man at every level was not a garbage man at the level before. He realized once getting there, he just had to be a garbage man, but he did not dream of being a garbage man. Yeah, I mean, nobody is dreaming of taking a charge in the second quarter. Everybody wants to hit the game runner. You're not just yes. thinking about, like, being out there, being passing it to the guy who shoots the game ready, setting a screen to free up the dude. Three, two, one. No, you're shooting the shot. So I guess logically you can put it away, but we aren't logical creatures. I think you're right. What it probably comes down to is all that is cool as long as we winning. Yep. And once we start losing, then it's like, come on. Like we heard Marcus Smart complaining about it at the beginning of the season. Right now, Marcus Smart is not, I mean, he's hurt now, but he hasn't become like some great big offensive threat, but they started winning. Things got better. Marcus got happy. He got an award. Yeah. Like, that's how it works. If we go lose, I might as well shoot. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it is, right? Like, if you're telling me I can't shoot because we not going to win if I shoot, that is a reasonable point. That is a fair thing to say. But if we still going to lose, then you might as well let me go. <laughs> might as well. I mean, I can miss shots, too. You made a good point on your pod earlier in the week about how um, Luca's better than Aiden, but Aiden was better for this team. And I saw like Aiden, like James Jones has done a great job. Aiden, McGee, even um, what's his name? Bismack Biombo. Like their issue last year was they didn't have depth behind Aiden. And they have these three guys. Biombo's not great. Um, McGee is not like great, but these are like modern bigs that can support Aiden and allow them to have a flexible team around. Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Outstanding and impressive. But yes, I think the point that Luka's better, he is better, but he's not better for this team. Had they drafted Luka, it would have been a problem with Luka and Booker. they make it to the second round, and they'd be talking about which one of them can we trade right now. It don't really matter if you're better, right? So a great NFL example, because they used the NBA before. Let's be clear. The Cleveland Browns need a quarterback, right? We all understand They need a quarterback. And there was a year that they could have got two all-pro quarterbacks that level, and they didn't. But you know what they got? Miles Garrett. Nobody's mad. Yep. Right? Like, nobody's (laughs) like, damn, we we should have got Mahomes or Watson. I mean, I guess they got Watson. But nobody's like, damn. I mean, maybe there, I'm sure there's some people that are like, damn, we should have got Mahomes. But if you got Miles Garrett, you're doing okay. Like, Aiton, don't be surprised if Aiton ultimately becomes better than Luca, Like, Aiton, the difference for me in watching between Aiton last year and Aiton this year, this incredible. is the year that he's like, oh, I am actually really good at this, and I don't think anybody can guard me. That's incredible for them to have that option because, like, it seemed like uh, early in the game, Devin Booker was controlling it. Late in the game, it felt like Chris Paul was controlling it. And then Devin Booker just couldn't miss, just started hitting threes all over, and all over the place. And also, like, Aiton has offense, which it felt like he didn't have offense outside of like Chris Paul creating some sort of 
pocket for him to get open to to do an alley oop or to get a mid range. But like they're passing the ball and just let them work. Like that's the most important thing to me that I learned about basketball recently. And it's it's true of football also. It seems like we're going in a direction where flexibility, team flexibility is more important than anything. And it seems like the Suns have so much offensive and defensive flexibility that that's why they're this good. It's especially if Booker is going to be healthy and shooting the way he's shooting like they're unbeatable. So think about this for Phoenix, like in line with what you say. Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker. One of them is their third best player, right? And you can make an argument really for each of them being their third best player, depending upon what you're into, what you're going for. I think it's hardest to make the argument for Paul as the third best, but you can make an argument by either of them. Okay, yep, you got a championship contender team if one of those guys is your number three. That's outstanding. Yeah, I think... I, yeah, I was trying to figure out who I would argue for, and I, I can't quite come to a conclusion. I mean, I think Chris Paul gets so much value for being uh, like more than what happens on the floor. Right. Like more than what his numbers suggest. And that's a hard thing to measure. And it does seem like I guess they were really good in the bubble before they got Chris Paul. But it feels like he was the pivotal piece that turned them into something else. And James Jones, man, he learned from last year. He, he's has he got an executive of the year yet? Because they need to get him one. Right. I mean, Monty Williams, two-time coach of the year. Like, nah, James, yeah. James, James put this together, and he works for a dummy. Like, and that it's not like James Jones <laughs> yeah. is doing this while, you know, working with the greatest right. organization in the world. It, it isn't that at all. With Chris Paul, also one, it's the stuff, I mean, the stuff on the court matters a lot too, right? I would say who I think is their number three guy, but I can't talk about that dude without Phoenix fans losing their minds. Which one? Booker. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody got to be number three. It's all your team. But they think I have this vendetta against Booker because I sent this tweet saying it's not like he's this super game-changing player because I got tired of people complaining that he didn't make the all-star team like it was Giannis missing the all-star team or something. But I'm not saying he he can ball. Like, I ain't saying that. But I think Booker, Booker's like a top 20, top 25 in the NBA type of dude. By the way, that's really rarefied air. There ain't too many dudes there. That's what makes you like at fringe all-star level. But what he is is a score, right? He's going to score. What do you ask Devin Booker to do? Score. What else? Maybe pass it sometimes. But you got one job, basically, just to be out here and score. And that's cool. A big man as good as Aiton still, even in this modern era, is going to be a bit more impactful than a guy that's just by and large out here to get buckets for you. But again, if Devin Booker is your third best player, your team is cold because he's cold. Yeah, I mean, I think of finding somebody like Aiton is probably in the modern NBA harder and more important than finding a scorer, even a scorer as good as um, Devin Booker, someone who who is comfortable in the switch and they can't play off the floor. Because that's what um, it seemed like the Mavs' strategy was to try to go small and play Aiton off the floor, and they can't with Aiton or McGee. Biombo is another story, but he's out there getting minutes, not embarrassing himself. But both of those guys athletically on defense and the difference between Aiden and McGee is on the offensive side is like Aiden actually gives you something offensively other than lob. So, yeah, I, I guess the reason why people probably would be upset with you is because the skills and the things that Devin Booker does are eye popping and impressive. Yes. The things that Aiton does are less eye-popping and impressive, but much more difficult to find 
which is the definition of value pretty much they also just upset with me because they needed something to be mad at and that was the thing to yeah. be mad at poor phoenix fans i get it your team been sorry for so long and you've been with this guy while they were sorry and phoenix ain't even really a small place but people in places that folks think of as small markets whether the market is small or not is a different discussion they just always it's wild it's the thirst for people outside of your area You'd be like say our guy is good we just need somebody to say our guy is good. I'm like, yo, the sons are saying it with that money, dog. You ain't even gotta, yeah, you ain't right. even gotta worry about that. Uh, I want to ask you right before we uh, get to some of this football stuff because I'm curious your thoughts on uh, James Harden and like, hey, we can get into they he lost a step, da da da. All this. This is my thought. I'm curious what you think about this. No matter what you think about where Harden is. They traded for him because maybe they weren't supposed to be capable of beating the Heat without Embiid, but they shouldn't be getting embarrassed two games in a row if James Harden is anything close to what they need him to be, right? And uh, that ain't how it's going, dog. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't been good. Like, uh, and we explained it away by saying maybe he was just like, half-assing because he wanted to get out of Brooklyn. And then it was like, well, maybe he just like pacing himself for the playoffs. And then it's like, well, they're winning and and um Embiid is doing his thing even though he wants more from Harden. Now it's nobody there. We need you. We need you. And he's like reticent to shoot, it seems. Like uh, people are running at him and not even jumping and he's pump faking and passing out of it. Like it feels... To me, like someone who like athletes don't recognize that they're cooked until other people like force it into them. Like it feels to me like someone who recognizes that he ain't got it. Like he, he doesn't want it because he ain't got it. He's trying to find ways to impact the game without doing the things that he did in the past. But he can't do those things. And I guess it's part of it is to change focus on the foul calls, but can't get to the rack like he used to. And he's not shooting as often or as well as he used to. And it just looks ugly. But hold on, let me tell you about the foul calls, though. He was back to getting to the line nine times a game. Like, he got back to that part of it. That's what's got to be scary. Like, if he couldn't still get to the free throw line, and even nine is down from some of the salad days of James Harden, but still nine, that's a lot of free throws to be taken, okay? The thing for him is, his game, to me, was predicated on two kinds of shots. Really easy shots and really hard ones. Now, he would have to work hard to get some of those easy shots, whether it be the fouls or just layups or whatever it was. But the thing that made James Harden James Harden was that step back three. That is really hard. And as you get older and your legs aren't what they used to be, forget about the hamstring injury, whatever, just generally stepping backwards and throwing the ball at the basket from 30 feet, you ain't going to be able to keep that up. Like, you know that Steph Curry don't be shooting them parking lot jumpers like he used to. <laughs> Yo, man, you just can't keep that. I mean, that takes strength. That just There's a lot of physicality that's required to take long shots. And I don't think that people really think about that. Just like the core strength. I was talking about Kobe once, and Phil Jackson got on me. I was talking about Kobe taking too many shots. And feels like the part that you're ignoring is how many guys can't even get that many shots up. Yeah. It's hard. That's a, a different way to look at it. I think you're right. Is We think of physical strength as something that helps you on the inside helps you banging and bouncing off of people like doing the John Morant thing. It's like, that's not going to age well because you can't continue to play like that. But yeah, I mean, it's a different type of physical strength, but yeah, shooting from deep accurately. If you got to heave it, it's going to be a lot less accurate than mm-hmm. if you got the leg strength to get up and just let it go and shoot it. 
All right, man. Dominique been wanting to talk about uh, some of this football here. You was in Las Vegas for the draft. You know, aside from the contagion, how was it? Oh, it was great. I mean, Vegas is hard to not have fun in Vegas, but you know how it is. It's two nights tops. Third night, you want to get home. So I was there for the perfect amount of time. And the draft was surprisingly competent. Like, it was not a fun draft because it was very few teams we could make fun of, except for the Cardinals, which their trade is starting to make a little bit more sense now. But I was really impressed, honestly, with most teams, especially the teams in New York where you are, that we traditionally enjoy mocking. Like, both of them, I thought, did an excellent job in the early part of the draft. So, yeah, it was a fun experience. The Ravens did their thing, as they always do. But I'll be interested to see uh, what happens to this receiver market. That's the most interesting thing in the draft right now is how A.J. Brown got, or in the league, A.J. Brown got traded. Marquise Brown got traded to uh, Arizona. And now that money is going to be coming. All these new receivers. Like, it's so interesting to have the rules of supply and demand just be completely ignored because it seems like the supply is high as hell of good receivers. Every year, five guys come in that we think are nice, and then there's even nicer ones in the second round. So the supply is high, but the price is still high, and it doesn't quite make sense. Well, I mean, the supply and the demand can both go up. I think part of what we're really seeing with receivers, again, part of it's the money, but the other thing we're seeing with the draft is a whole shift in the mentality of front offices about what the value is of those lottery tickets. Right. Like the guys that are just like, nope, I'm going bird in hand at every turn. If I can get bird in hand, I'll pay that person a little bit of extra money. You know, if that's what it takes. But they go in bird in hand. And I do think it's an interesting strategy. We go bird in hand and then figure out how we can find all the other dudes in the later rounds. Right. To shine as many of these cats up as possible. Get them in there and look for the diamonds in the rough. But we got the bird in hand. So we're going to wind up being OK. I was surprised to see A.J. Well, A.J. Brown got a lot of money, but his guaranteed buddy wasn't quite hitting on the same level as everybody else was. But I think them dudes looked up and just realized, hey, man, y'all need us. And I think the teams have looked up and decided that we need really good receivers. What's wild about it, though, for me, every time somebody gets on the Packers about not taking a receiver in the first round, they didn't take a receiver in the first round, but they did take Devontae Adams. They did take Jordy Nelson. They did take up and down the line. Like, wherever you get the good one at, you get the good one at. But you got to have a good one. At least one. Yeah, at least one, I think, is the point. Because I think we're going to a point where this has been a, a kind of slow process where the rules have changed and the teams have been reluctant to go to more pass-happy. But we're in a more pass-happy NFL now. And I think we're recognizing, or the teams are recognizing, that you're going to need a 1A and a 1B more than uh, just a 1 and a 2. And that's where they're going to. I think that's part of the reason why the rules of supply and demand seem like they aren't necessarily applying is because the demand isn't for a number one anymore. The demand is for two number ones. And you look around the league at these great offenses, and they got at least a 1A and 1B uh, to attack. And that's how these great quarterbacks, and maybe it's not always receivers, but it's pass catchers. There, you can look around the league. There's very few teams that you can say that are good that don't have two guys that you got a game plan for. So I think that's part of the reason why it seems like it's not working out that well, or it seems like it's not going according to what you would think are like traditional, rational behavior. But also, it's a closed ecosystem in the NFL, which means they do not have to respond rationally. It means that you can do dumb things and still survive. Yeah. It's also interesting because young receivers are better than they've ever been before. Like the learning curve for catching up as a receiver in the NFL used to be so steep. Like you're looking at year three if you're lucky 
really seeing somebody that looks like that kind of receiver by and large like you have years of five six first round picks and it's just like yo so when are any of these guys actually going to be good you know like like that's what it was but now because the offenses are more similar to what they were doing before they can't maul you at the line of scrimmage anymore like they used to be able to do but even then with that bird in the hand they're going to try to get these guys that that you know have the experience and they'll throw the money at them like Devontae adams getting 28 million dollars a year really threw me not because he's not good I just never thought we'd get to a point where a receiver was making $28 million a year. The thing about press coverage jumped out at me because that used to be something that receivers couldn't do coming out of college. But they changed, and I was going to say that they've gotten better at it, but that's not true. They've changed the rules such that what constitutes press coverage nowadays is not nearly as aggressive or difficult. So guys still struggle at it, but they get out of it faster because you can't do it as aggressively before and then get into their routes and make plays. But the Devontae Adams point, I think what you're paying for is a boost in your quarterback play. I think that's how you rationalize it. Is you're like, all right, this guy is going to be a 99 receiver, but you know what that makes our quarterback? That takes our quarterback from an 85 to a 90. If you're using Madden ratings is because sometimes people ain't going to be wide open, but he is. Uh, Sometimes we just need you to throw a five yard route and he's going to turn it into a 10 yard gain. And I think for somebody like Derek Carr specifically, that's hugely helpful because that's what he want to do. He's gotten a lot better at attacking deep down the field. What he want to do is get the ball out of his hands. And if you can give somebody so that the throws are easier, that makes your offense so much simpler like first and second down, you're going to be looking at third and two, or you could skip third down altogether. And that's, I think that doesn't get measured nearly as well. We're going to look at Devontae Adams' numbers at the end of the year, and that's going to determine how good he was or how impactful he was. But the offense can be better without his numbers being better. He can have impact on offense without catching the ball or without putting up big plays. Right. Now, you mentioned the Jets in the draft. They got Sauce Gardner. Mm -hmm. They got Garrett Wilson. And it's wild, like the idea that Olave may not have been the best receiver Ohio State had. Like, yo, Ohio State had Olave, Gary Wilson, and the Jameson Williams dude that went to Alabama because he was like, I'm not going to get to play. And I'm just like, damn, y'all are cheating. While you got the Stroud dude and had Quinn Ewers, I mean, okay. They, they, okay. They playing a different game up there. I get you. But with the Jets, I'll have to say this about, oh, and they got Jermaine Johnson at the end of the draft, yep. at the end of the first round. But, uh, that young man, Sauce, boy, you better be good. That is all I'm saying right now, man. He yeah. showed up with what looked like a quarter million dollar piece around his neck that looked like a bottle of hot sauce to go along with the piece that says sauce on it. Like the rest of them dudes, I was looking at them. I'm like, okay, y'all are borrowing these chains. Like I just know you are. They just cost too much money. But you can't borrow the hot sauce in the joint that say sauce. That's yours. You have purchased this. That man, you talk about bet on yourself. He, he's already bet on himself because he is already spending second contract money on, on his uh, on his chain. There was this uncomfortable ass video of Sauce explaining his change to Woody Johnson on Twitter. It just made me so uncomfortable. I didn't like it at all. It's Yo. like because Woody's trying to act like he understands or like he cares, and you can both of them are playing to the camera. It just made me cringe. All I'm saying is this. I ain't explaining nothing to Woody Johnson until Woody Johnson explained to me how it is that he managed to pocket dial his ex from the delivery room when his new lady was having his baby. Oh, gosh. There's so many things that you could have said there. I explained nothing to Woody Johnson until he explained X, Y, Z, and you went with that. (laughs) 
I need to know how that happened. <laughs> I thought it was going to be about some decisions that he made or some some uh, uh, He made the he decision made. not to lock his phone. <laughs> you explain that to me right now. How you do that, dog? <laughs> That's all I want to know. How many times you don't pocket dial other people? Oh, gosh. Or that, did you uh, just do that out of spite? Yeah. Oh, my bad. I don't know. I called you by accident. I got a friend who, whenever they talking bad about somebody, they take out their phone to make sure that they ain't call them, which is kind of an absurd thing to do. Because, like, I mean, it's just like anxiety, I guess, or just better safe than sorry. So I guess it's not Look, absurd. It's better safe than sorry. Sometimes I wear a mask outside. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't lose anything by that. It's just like, it, there's, what are the chances? But there, there is a chance. So I guess it's not completely absurd. But Woody Johnson proves that it's not absurd at all. You better, <laughs> you better, you better start doing that, and I'm going to start doing it too. Whenever I got something slick to say, I'm going to take it out and take a peek. Like, just to make sure, because that is wild. Yo, let me ask you this, man. This dude uh, was Jordan Addison that plays for Pitt. I haven't seen him play. Apparently, he must be good because he got the Blitnikoff, and they really don't just be giving that thing to anybody. College awards can be a little wonky, but I found the Blitnikoff is all right. And he's saying he think about transferring because he wants to go somewhere to improve his chances as a pro. And I'm like, bro, didn't you just say you won the Blitnikoff? At a school, by the way, that if nothing else produces pros. I know in this Narduzzi era, they haven't done nearly as much but i'm like bro you ain't got a lot of me man if it's about they swear it's not about this bread but it, it sure feels like it's about this bread like i'm not saying you're lying i'm just telling you, you ain't gotta you ain't gotta but he ain't got a lot of you maybe he got a lot of other people like i feel like you understand this pretty well is that just because it's true don't mean you got to say it <laughs> but other people ain't got no problem saying it dog this money is getting crazy I love that these guys are getting some power and some leverage because I love the idea that he's still saying that Pitt has a chance. And so I remember what it was like to be a college football player. And I remember like being a star, like all American as a sophomore. And I also remember still being like under the thumb of the coach and having to do and say exactly what he said when he said, because if I wanted to transfer, and you have to sit out of here. It's a penalty. And I, the NFL banned you from going to the league unless you're three years out. So I'm just imagining he like, I'm going in a portal and then show up to the facility the next day. What the hell you think Narduzzi saying to him? <laughs> Not a damn thing no. or everything. I'm sorry. You're, you're welcome. Whatever you want. <laughs> Please, sir. Don't go nowhere. So I am thoroughly enjoying that. That might be a perversion of the college football that you all know, but it was broken. And I'm happy we're getting closer to something better. So there's two things for me about this. Uh, Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated, did an interesting article, basically a whole bunch of coaches saying this whole thing is out of control. And it is. Like, I don't think that's wrong. This is kind of wild, willy-nilly. There need to be some rules in place. The coaches are right. I just ain't tripping that hard about it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not as though they don't have a point. It's just not the biggest point. It's just not the most important thing for us to discuss what I worry about with these NIL deals is the fine print and I haven't seen too many coaches talk about how concerned they are with the fine print and whether their players are being exploited or like whether they're signing over their rights for very long terms as short-term money involved for people who are desperate in some cases like those are my concerns there but the Dellinger article made the point that they're afraid that college football is going to go back to what it was in the 80s and I'm like oh what's the problem with that? There are two problems with what it was in the 80s. 
One, that paying people wasn't allowed. That was the problem. And two, cocaine. There was a level of cocaine trading that was going through college football programs that was bringing a different kind of money in. It was a lot going on, shall we say, in the cocaine 80s. But the fact that the cats are getting paid, I just don't see what the problem is. It's only going to get worse for the NCAA. So like you said, there should be some regulations, but who is competent enough to come up with them and institute them properly? Because this still, as I know you know, NIL money is not the teams paying for the players' labor. So to me, that creates a problem that is sooner or later going to bite a player or the organizations, the teams, is going to bite them at some point. Because the point you're making is, If the NIL money is coming from various places or various people, you can't regulate them. So sooner or later, it's going to be some, and it might already, not it might, it's probably already happening. There are some unscrupulous characters connecting with our players right now, all because y'all don't want to pay them the salaries that they deserve. And so it's going to bite somebody at some point. It's going to be unfortunate, but it's a problem that they created themselves. Yeah, but it also came up at a very interesting time, which is when all these rich people made all these big COVID scores, right? So there's always been people willing to trick off this money, but now there are more people who have money specifically for tricking off, right? Because I mean, this all this is, is tricking off cash. Like they're making it rain, they're just making it rain on football players. But they want to have the best team and they all get together on these message boards and everything else. And they're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to get this right? And then the Wii gets together and throws some money around. Because that's why, like, I don't know if you was all with me. I told this. I got one of my best friends, man, my man Andre. Andre got this 1985 Mustang 5.0. And the thing he always says about that car, he's had it for the 20 years that I've known him, was I bought this thing to spend money on it, right? Like, he likes working with cars. He bought it to go get this new thing, to get that new thing. He enjoys putting the stuff in. That's why he got it. The whole reason to do this is to pour money into it. Why not? I mean, that's how you should treat a professional team if you got it. But the problem with this process is there is no regulations. And while I want them to exist in a free market, there needs to be some regulations because there are regulations in a free market. But they can't regulate these people. They should be sending their money to the program and the program should be paying the players for their labor. If you want to get endorsement outside, you get an endorsement outside because essentially that's what they're doing. They're cutting out the middleman, but by cutting out the middleman, you are probably linking some guys up with some people that they should not be linked up with. And sooner or later, someone's going to get in some sort of trouble. Some kid's not going to get the money that he was promised because their stuff's going to fall apart. It's all like it's a mess because they don't work for you now. They now work for these dudes. They work for whoever the game, the NIL deal. Well, see, where I misunderstood how this was going to go, I thought the NIL stuff was really going to be like greatly overstated and what it was going to do for players because only so many players are marketable for their names. What truly makes them marketable is their labor. Their labor is what makes their names marketable, right? But we skipped out that middle step. But I did not do nearly enough consideration to just basic fundamental economics, which is, oh, so this is how you're going to let us pay them? Well, this is how we're going to pay them. How yeah. they're not looking that. at these NIL deals like, man, let me see how many more cars I can sell if I bring this receiver in to tweet out a picture standing next to my pickup truck. No, they like, nah. how many more wins can I get? Yeah, like Dellinger, that was his thing is that these collectives are getting together. It's just like groups of boosters and then they pool into money together and then they go in. And so talking about we don't want it to go like the 80s. I don't know how many of y'all watch one of the best of the 30 for 30s. 
Pony Excess, the one about SMU in the 1980s. And I don't know what to tell you, dog, because uh, I watched that 30 for 30, and that looked like all of the fun. They <laughs> looked like they was having a ball. And what it was a byproduct of was oil was booming in the 1980s in the Southwest Conferences, all Texas schools plus Arkansas. And so all these people in these boardrooms for these oil companies just basically whipping it out is seeing who's his biggest. Like that was what it was about the football team. And then they decided they were going to do it at SMU. But when you go back and look at what kind of checks they were cutting at SMU or how much guys were getting, it's like 30 G's. It's like 40 G's. Dudes I've never heard of are talking about getting like 800 G's. A Miami basketball player was getting 800 G's and I've never heard of him. Good for him. God bless him. But my poor Terps, we don't got oil. Oh, I got Under Armour? Where he at? He need to come out there and pay up. I think they just built a new facility or something. We don't got a gang of big uh, boosters, but I ain't going to be one of them. Y'all going to have to <laughs> figure it out the old-fashioned way. I can't buy no players for you. Now, let me tell you, it's no excuses time for Texas. Ain't nobody got more money. How you not get one player drafted? Yeah, but it's something bigger, though. The Big 12 in total only had 25. Ugh. Draft like the SEC had 60 or 65, I want to say, or is it that the SEC had 65 and the Big 12 had 20? But I want to say the gap was 45 between them. So, yeah, part of it is about Texas. Now, they're gonna have a first round pick next year, and they're gonna have a first round pick the year after that. I feel very confident saying Bijan gonna be a first round pick next year, and Xavier Worthy gonna be a first round pick after that. But what's got to be disheartening about it for Texas is it ain't like they haven't been recruiting, at least according to the rankings and everything else. Like, not recruiting at the Alabama-Ohio State level, but not at this point where you should be having zero. Now, the other thing, to be fair to point out, is you have a coaching change. I don't know who transferred. I don't know who left. Like, I haven't paid close enough attention to that. But, I mean, how long did they go? Like, first-round picks, it don't really happen like that anymore. As I recall, Texas has had one offensive lineman drafted since 2008. One. That's tough. I mean, it doesn't tough. make any sense. That's tough. That's pre NIL. <laughs> I mean, they got Xavier Worthy to stay. Maybe that boy just love Austin that much, but somebody uh, got him to stay. Like, I'm just saying, there's no excuses. Y'all got the most money. You're in a state that produces a lot of football players, but Texas has to get. And it's what the SEC schools got. None of those SEC schools are trying to subsist entirely on in-state talent. Yeah. And the good ones aren't trying to subsist strictly on regional talent. You got to win your state first, though, I feel like. I feel like you have to win your state first before you start reaching outside. Nah, see, I think you just need to be reasonably competitive within your state. So, for example, Georgia, with all that talent they have and all that talent in Georgia, they still getting them from everywhere. Florida has always gone and gotten them for everywhere. Miami was a little different, but if you're going to be Texas at this point, you're going to have to go get them from everywhere. Like USC can kind of go get them from everywhere, but you're going to have to go get them from everywhere. Yeah, I don't have a problem with them getting it from everywhere. I mean, I'm not a Texas fan, but maybe I guess the NIL money is going to change the racism factor. Because like I could assume that some guys may not want to go there because they still singing that song. But yeah. if you pay people enough, then that song ain't going to matter nearly as much. Dog, look at what Gabe just sent me here. The state of Texas had the most players drafted that went to high school in the state. Jeez. Texas was number one. And none of them <laughs> from the flagship institution of the state. That is an amazing statistic. Ugh. 32. None Ugh. of them were from there 
USC's about to have a weird year like that, though, because they had that one recruiting class where they didn't get nobody out of, like, the top 20 in the state of California when they didn't fire Clay Helton and they should have. I mean, I can't talk too much because we got plenty of talent here and the Addison kids from Maryland. Caleb, who went from Oklahoma to USC, Mm -hmm. is from Maryland. We ain't keeping them home neither, but we ain't Texas. The difference is y'all never have. Yeah, that's fair. And in the aughts, Texas kept them all. Yeah. They wouldn't have to go nowhere and still have not like appropriately recovered from what that was. But I mean, I do laugh at this. Charlie Strong, hey man, at least he got some dudes in that was going to the league. That's all Herman's dudes last year and ain't not a one of them make the league. What was the sales pitch for when they hired him? Because I feel like if it's not, he's a great recruiter, it's the wrong sales pitch. It was two things. One was great recruiter. I mean, he got Ed Oliver to go to University of Houston, right? So there was recruiter element and they needed a Texas guy, right? Not a University of Texas guy, but a Texas guy. And to be fair, he was. He coached at Houston. He coached at Rice. The high school coaches weren't going to thumb their noses at him like they did Charlie Strong. And look, man, they went. 10-1 10-1 and one or whatever it was, 11-1 and one at Houston. He had been the offensive coordinator for that year at Ohio State when they won the national championship with Cardell Jones. He was the guy to hire at the time, and then they got there and were like, hey, we don't like him. That's not good. But hey, man, it just dawned on me. We about here at the end of this thing here, man. That is Dominique Foxworth. Check him out on Get Up. Check him out on Anscape. Check him out on Debatable. Check him out all over the place. And, of course, every Friday here on The Right Time for Foxworth Friday. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. Uh, Just a reminder, voicemails, 860-516-4119. Tell us your story about the time your mama snatched you up out of school or you saw somebody get snatched up out of school by their mama. We would love (laughs) to see that. Remember, uh... Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.